I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. We've got Kyle Nathan, Draws and Fades, is back for another uh, mailbag. Kyle, what's happening? Not too much. What's happening with you? Why don't you tell us about uh, being stranded on a tropical island? I mean, you had to uh, you had to evacuate too, so it's been a been a rough couple of weeks. Yeah, you can't can't mess around with weather. Yeah, but congrats on the uh, marriage, the nuptials. Yeah, married man, new uh, new era. So <laughs> we, uh, we I, I think the storm missed our island by like a hundred miles or so. So it was a lot closer than uh, I really knew. I, I looked one day like it started getting windy, and then I looked at the at the radar and saw that it was like just north of us. I was like, oh. I'm glad I didn't know that it was even like that close. No need to panic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh sure enough we were flying through Miami, so an American and uh yeah, that that flight I guess still hasn't left now because of Maria hit St. Lucia. Uh Oh my god, you'd have to get a passport from there. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have run out of money, too, because <laughs> if I had to keep staying, paying the all-inclusive rate, I would have been, uh, would have been in trouble. But it was, uh, it was a good, uh, good little reset and uh, good to just chill out on a beach. And I read a bunch. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, we just drank and ate a lot, too. So it was fun. That's right up my alley. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. So uh, what'd you do? How'd you, what'd you tell us about uh, evacuating? We just went up to Birmingham and uh, hung out there. I've been there before um, to play a couple golf tournaments at the Country Club of Birmingham, so I knew it was a nice place. And it was fun. The drive sucked. I mean, it's like a, it's supposed to be a nine-hour drive. It took us 17 there, 17 back. It was awful, but everything's all good down here, so can't be can't complain. Everybody, uh, everybody evacuating. It's like uh, it'd be like. It sounds like it's like driving in Chicago rush hour traffic for nine hours. Well, dude, the craziest thing was the gas. I mean, if you needed gas, it was literally an hour wait. It was insane. I've never seen. I've never seen anything like it. And what scared me more is you saw cars with like four gas canisters like tied to the back of their car, so they didn't have to stop. I'm like, if someone rear-ends them, that's going to be an explosion. Like, it's just such a which is scary gas situation that that doesn't sound very safe no it's not safe at all but they're like oh i don't want to wait an hour so i'll just tape it to my license plate (laughs) this sounds like a very florida thing to do oh so florida like 74 dead as florida man pours gasoline on his car like Um, you did make it back for the bmw though what'd you think um, yeah, I got back, I, I got back on Friday morning, I had a layover in, uh, in LaGuardia, what an awful 
awful place <laughs> that is. My fi- my fiance, we got there in the morning after we flew we flew into JFK, and I said to my fiance, I go, you know, this is the worst airport in America, and she goes, why? I go, it's it's absolutely awful, and you know the people in it don't make it any better. Yeah, and it's disgusting. At like five thirty in the morning, we waited an hour and a half for security and there was literally 40 people in front of us and we walked through and she goes she goes yeah this is uh this is definitely the worst airport in america oh that's brutal but um bmw was was good i mean the uh it's always amazing i think we've we talked about it in our group text but how low these guys shoot at courses like i've never thought conway farms is easy and Yet these guys shoot like 64 in their sleep. Um, the conditions were, I mean, it was pretty, the greens were really firm. Um, I think the big thing is that there's just no, you know, real, they, they don't have to think out there and, and, and there's nothing, you know, that really puts the, you know, question in their head. Um, and that's kind of, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do to defend against these guys. It's insane to me. I, I've probably played Conway, I don't know, 30 to 50 times, a lot. And I've never once walked off the course thinking it was even medium difficulty. I've always thought it's a tough course. You get through like four, five, six. And, you know, there's stretches of holes where you're like, oh, my God, just hold on for dear life. Don't make double. And you play well. Maybe you shoot 68, 69 if you play a great round, for me at least. And these guys shoot 62, like 63. And, you know, if I play bad there, it's 76 in a hurry. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, I played terrible, shot 70. Like, it's just, it's insane, especially, like, to see that on a golf course that I know and that I think is hard. Um, we, I was talking about it with a buddy of mine, and he's like, it's basically just what just uh, Jason Day did at Whistling. It's like, you're right. I mean, it's it's not as good as day's performance but it's crazy to to put in perspective these guys just annihilate these difficult courses it's insane i mean they just hit it so far and so straight is i mean far and straight's good yeah like when i drive the ball well i shoot well but that's like i shoot like 68s and 69s but when these guys drive the ball well it's 63 62 64 and um it's just crazy because you know it, it's a what is it seventy three hundred yards ish seventy four, and seventy four hundred yards to these guys is, is driver wedge fest. You know, it's crazy. I I never really I've never thought of that. I thought of it as a long course, let alone you know medium. I, it's a long golf course to me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I hit it what two seventy five. I it's not like I hit it short. I mean, I hit it short by their standards, but to me, that's a really long golf course. A lot of four irons and. They're just hitting, you know, flip wedges. Yeah, there's a, there's not a lot of guys. That's one of the things I think is happening, and you see it is with the ball and, and the way how straight it goes now is you see the skilled guys, the guys that don't necessarily hit it that far but are just phenomenal with every other club in their bag. Um, they're being phased out of professional golf. Like, who's, you know, you used to have, like, Jim Furyk, for example, and uh, like Luke Donald was high in the rankings, and recently number one in the world. Yeah, number one in the world. I mean, you go back into the era like Nick Faldo is a perfect example. That guy was mm-hmm. didn't hit it anywhere, but he had maximum control of his ball. He could hit it 
all the shots. Like, he wouldn't exist in today's game. Like, if you don't hit it 310 yards, 300 yards, see ya. Yeah, it's 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 a shame, really. It's, <clears throat> I I think that it's it's you're eliminating like, you know, maybe sixty percent of the people that are good enough to be on tour are eliminated because of that. And I just I don't know how to combat it. I know we have a question about the golf ball and um, all that. I mean, you can only make a golf course so tight. You know, I mean, what are you supposed to make it a bowling alley with OB left, OB right, or you know, water out of bounds? I. I'm not sure how to fix it except probably the golf ball. I mean, you I, you want to go play an 8,200-yard U.S. Open? I mean, that sounds ridiculous. And the, just the fact that, like, it's not a sustainable model for a golf course. Like, think about if you have a 9,000-yard course watering, like, and maintenance of it. And oh, yeah, the expenses go up dramatically. And, and then that 9,000-yard course is used, like, once every 10 years. Right. And it's it's just crazy. It's um I think the big thing is is that I I don't think narrow is the answer though. Like I I know I'm always banging Yeah, with, you're a big with guy. But I know that's why I was thinking that's the only answer to me besides the golf ball and I know you're going to hate that, but well, here's my thought process is like you could create a really wide course. It could even be short. Um and let long hitters try and drive greens all day like it could be you could have a lot of 350 yard par fours but let the shorter guy because long players and short players everybody's going to miss the fairway you know what kills the short players is when they miss the fairway and they're hitting four iron out of thick rough right and long hitters are hitting wedge like you can hit a wedge out of thick rough you can't hit a four iron out of thick rough and um I think it, the width thing is interesting because what it does is it allows, you know, the the bombers are going to try and drive a lot of those greens and they're trying to up there and, you know, especially if it can be firm and fast, they'll get themselves in terrible spots where the shorter hitter can play to his strength. They can play to angles and, and let their wedge game play, you know? Right. So that's kind of my thought process. I, I think about like the old course. I mean, is a perfect example. You had Zach Johnson win there, um, and it's the widest golf course in the world, and it's all about angles. You don't ever really know what the exact right way to play a golf hole is, and depending on where the pin is, it's dramatically different day to day. It's the same. You see the same at Augusta. It's a little bit less than it used to be, but those are two of the best championship golf courses ever. So if they're really wide, why does do people think we need to go narrow? Well, both of those courses, obviously St. Andrews is, they're not as fast, but they, they both have really difficult green complexes. And that's always a defense that, you know, we've both played some 65, 6,600 yard golf courses that can play really tough because, because of the green complexes. And, you know, if you, if you short side yourself, you have zero chance. And, you know, those, those golf courses are fun, but, and they're, you know, you could do that on tour where you have the greens running 12 and a half, 13 and a half, and they're super undulating and tough to putt, but you can't do that for the everyday golfer. No, no, I, I, I agree. But that everyday golfer isn't having the problems of shooting 63 at a 7,400 <laughs> yard golf course Very and, true. and having an entire style of golf be, um, essentially extinct from the game. Um, let's get, well, I guess, uh, what do you think about 
kind of the FedEx playoffs while we're on the topic. Um, do you, do you think it works? Obviously, football just kills it. I mean, I'm like a huge golf fan, and if I was in the country, I'd probably watch a lot of football. I'd be flipping back and forth. Like, golf wouldn't have my full equity. It's just, even if it was later in the season, I mean, I'm the same way. I watched all football the last last weekend, um, you know, obviously flipping back a little bit, but I just, it's the time, you know, football's just starting. You're all excited. You know, the Bears haven't don't have seven losses yet, so I'm trying to watch that game. Um, and They should have gotten you know, seven red losses. Zone. They the should last. for that. <laughs> I agree. They should have. But you know, I, you know, flipping back and with the with the red zone channel nowadays, it's just it's the timing. I think if you put it in, you know, it, not that it w- they would, but if you put it, you know, more towards the middle, <clears throat> excuse me, more towards the middle of the season, you'd get a little more interest in it. I just the timing is terrible. The format's okay. I, I mean, it's it is what it is. I don't think the format is terrible. Um, you, you know, know we've talked about other other podcasts. We like formats better, but you know, it's okay. Yeah, it's like I like the idea of doing a match play thing, but at the end of the day, the problem is like ratings and like having two guys on the golf course on Sunday of the season finale. Like that's not going to work. I see a lot of people throw out the idea of that. Um, I think obviously moving before football will help um, a lot because it's like the doldrums of uh, of sports. Um, but at the end of the day, I just don't think anybody, even the players really care, like the top players don't really even care about the FedEx Cup because like it's $10 million. That's great. But like, you know, your, your legacy as a player is why people care so much about the majors and they <laughs> like, they, nobody's going to be like, Oh, he was a two-time FedEx Cup champion. No, yeah, totally. I mean, in other sports, it's like, okay, what has this guy done in the playoffs? You know, Kershaw, his legacy's tarnished because he hasn't played well in the playoffs. But you look at golf, you're like, what, you know, I don't even know the results from last year, and I probably watched them, but I can tell you who won all the majors last year. So the majors are golf's playoffs. This is some kind of, I don't know, money grab, but it is something, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not not a huge fan of it. I, I wish they would do something else but they probably won't i'm sure they sure they'll stick with it yeah i think that billion dollar check from uh fedex is gonna make them ride out this playoff yeah that's a good one (laughs) it's the other thing i saw when i was researching for uh the newsletter that i didn't i I mean i just i didn't remember it i guess that's part of the problem but i forgot that the so you could win every single tournament you played in for a year and you could get to the FedEx Cup finals and they diminish your points to a set amount as number one. Mm -hmm. So it really doesn't matter. Like Jordan, like the fact that like the Jordan Spieth could win the first three events of the playoffs, he didn't. And then not win the whole FedEx Cup to me is just completely idiotic. It's ridiculous. It's, it's literally just, I mean, it's, that's so that's because they want the five guys to have a chance, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, everybody in the field to have a chance. That's because it doesn't matter. I mean, that's there's not I mean, if it was something so significant that all these guys, you know, cared so deeply about, they that wouldn't exist, I don't think. Yeah, the other thing is is like it, you know, trying to condense 
all of golf. Like I, I, I don't know how you think about golf, but I always look at at players. Like even at, at our level, I look at players that are more consistent than me that always finish top five, and I think, God, they're so consistent. They win a couple times. They finish top five all the time. Like that's what I want to be. Like trying to condense golf down into one week or a four week stretch to me is is kind of not what the game's all about. Like Tiger always said, he he's chasing consistency. That's the number one thing he's always looking for is to become more consistent. And you're trying to condense a, a season long thing into four weeks. Yeah, I mean that I you know the difference between winning and third place at that level maybe a couple of lip outs you know or you hit a tree and it kicks in the fairway or you hit a tree and it kicks behind a tree you know that's that's the difference so i'm with you condensing it to one week or even four is not great all right let's get let's get into the questions uh david horlander if you had to move the bmw to another chicago area course which one and why um a couple came to mind the first one that came to mind is right down the road from conway is Knollwood. Um, it came to mind because I played the Mid-Am in 2012 at Conway, and Knollwood was the sister course. And Knollwood, not only is it a great golf course, but the, the stroke average was, I want to say, almost two strokes higher. Uh, the rough was a little overgrown, but, I mean, that golf course can be tough. It's it's a huge piece of property. I mean, there's no doubt. It, it hosted the Western a couple years ago, but there's no doubt it could host it. Um, so I would probably say that's my first choice. Obviously, there's others, but I, Knollwood would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, I would. Uh, I I love Knollwood. I grew up working there. I caddied and and bagroomed it there for like ten years. I love that place. Um, the one concern I would have there is just infrastructure. Um, right. Getting like the big grandstands and the that's that's the thing I think I. I I've realized the more I've covered golf and going to these events is like there's so few good sites uh, available because of all the infrastructure you need with the grandstands, the the length of the golf course you need nowadays and like the type of golf course like where so many are are not available to it. Um, so like my con, and so the other thing with Chicago, the interesting dynamic with it is, is they saw it at the U S open. You don't want to have a, a, a championship on the South side because there just aren't a lot. There's not a big concentration of golfers. The North and the West side are the, are like the North and West suburbs are the places where you're going to find the most golfers. And if you have it down, like Olympia fields would be a great host, but for somebody from the North side, it, it's going to take an hour plus to get down there and they just frankly aren't going to go travel down there to play. So I would look at, obviously Medina is the next host. I think it's a, it's a good host because you know, the, the property, the infrastructure, like, I mean, that place can host a championship easily and, and has all the parking. It's easy to get to. And it's a, it's a big property. Um, I'm not crazy about the course. It's, it's very Reese Jonesy. But if, if that place got restored, it would be or redone by like Bill Corr, Ben Crenshaw or somebody like that. That place would be a top 10 championship course in the, in the country. Um, another one that I obviously it's the top of the list uh, on everything with Chicago is Chicago Golf Club. I mean, mm-hmm. 
they've got plenty of space. They could actually host one of these championships, but that would never, never happen because they'd have to give up their course for a week. But they have the space and the for the infrastructure needs, and that would just be awesome. Um, I think. I mean, I think Conway is is a, a good host because of where it's located. It's got the space for the the infrastructure, and uh, I think I think the golf course has a ton of potential to get better. Yeah, I am with you. All right, let's go to the next question from Nate Maori. Nate. What do you think about the web tour schedule crisscrossing the nation? Shouldn't they think about the money implications on players and caddies? Well, to say the least, the web tour scheduling is a is a complete dumpster fire. Um, they started the season going to the Bahamas, and then they took a week off and then went back to the Bahamas. So you know, like it, just from right off the right off the start of the season, terrible scheduling with like any kind of thought to their players and caddies like they had to buy two flight two round trip tickets to the bahamas as opposed to just one um these guys are playing for so little money i mean you finish in in 40th place on the web tour and you make like 2600 dollars, and that doesn't even cover your travel for the week and for the caddy that's like say you get 10 percent. that's 260 dollars plus your like one thousand dollar a week fee so you know you, you they the web tour, I know that are in a tough spot with sponsors, but I, I just don't think the tour does enough to promote how good the golf is. I think last year, between the web graduates and the finals participants, you had nine PGA Tour winners mm-hmm. uh, on the season. So, like, how how is this golf not being celebrated? Like, you go watch a web event, and it's just as good a golf as... It, very close to as good of golf as the PGA Tour, the names just aren't recognizable. Um, so more fun to attend too. I mean, it's much more intimate than you know standing six people back. You can you know walk right along with whoever you want, really. Usually, mm-hmm. exactly. And I mean, it, it, the crazy thing I think is the misconception on the web is that it's a young tour and it's actually turning into more of an older tour because you get there's so many young guys on the PGA Tour that. You have all these like older guys that should still be on the PGA Tour, like if it was 15 years ago, but now they're stuck playing down there because there's just no spots for them. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously the reason it is the way it is, I think, is um, it's hard to get good golf courses to give up your golf to give up your days for a tour event, let alone a web.com. So I think that they try to mix and match the best they can but i i am in agreement with you that they can they can absolutely do better because it's not it's not fair to these guys at all i mean not one bit they they wouldn't ask the tour guys to do the same thing i don't even think because they would you know bitch about it Mm -hmm. it's uh yeah it's not good it's i couldn't imagine being a caddy on the web tour it would just be i mean i don't know how those guys afford to live right Uh, Jay Rigdon, overrated, underrated, uh, nine-hole golf courses. I love nine-hole golf courses. I grew up, I'm going to say underrated. I grew up playing the Winneka Par 3. Um, probably my first 50 rounds of golf were at the Winneka Par 3. So um, I love it. There's some really cool Par 3s. Uh, you know, there's one in Jupiter down here. There's one in Palm Beach. That's awesome. 
the one in Palm Beach literally is better than most of the regular golf courses around here. It's just it's they're a lot of fun. And, you know, you get obviously Pine Valley and Olympic. They all have really cool par three courses, too. But I, I mean, I would almost prefer to play a par three course than an 18 hole course. It's just a little more fun and it's not such a time commitment. Yeah, I love nine hole courses because I like the idea of just playing nine holes. Like, mm-hmm. you don't always have time for 18. I, I think that we need more nine. I'd love to see a four hole course because, like, I think golf needs to try and um, compete with people's workouts, you know? And people always find an hour to work out. Like, how come we can't create four hole courses that are really interesting and fun where people can go play four holes and it takes an hour on their way home from work as opposed to two hours for nine or four hours for 18. I think you'd see a lot more people playing golf more often. I feel like people have talked about that for a few years now and I can't believe it hasn't really come to fruition because it's, that's an answer. You know, all these, what, what, what's happened to golf? How do we get younger people? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's a complete answer and nobody's really kind of taking the ball and run with it. It's one of my, one of the most fun golf experiences I've had this year was on my buddy's bachelor party and in Portland. And he, you know, we were, I was with like a bunch of non-golfers. Like one guy hadn't played golf in 14 years and he's like six, five in Serbian. And mm-hmm. he hadn't played, he'd only played once in his life. He was terrible, but he had a great time. We played this place. It's called like McMenamin's Pub Course. And they have a 20-hole par 3 course and a 12-hole par 3 course. The clubhouse is a bar. And you go there uh. and you rent your clubs for like a dollar. It's a, You get a, a wedge, a putter, and a, one ball for a dollar. And then uh, you go play and every hole is less than 70 yards. And it goes like uphill, downhill. The greens are tiny. Like I, it was actually like really hard. That's fun. So fun. <laughs> but it was it for uh, you know like the beginners. They could they could literally hit a putter to the green. You know if they wanted to, they could just putt it because it was like straight uphill, downhill. So you could like on the downhill ones, they could just putt it. Um, it was really cool. It was um, but like more places like that. I mean that. It had more of a top golf style feel in terms of like the atmosphere, but it was more golf than top golf. Cool. Um, I'm all about that. Philip Johnson, overrated, underrated uh, Medina three. Oh boy, I'm probably gonna piss off some friends here, but I'm gonna say way overrated. Um, we've talked about this before, um, you know, with some buddies on our thread, and I think that. I would be, if I made the list of the top golf courses in Chicago, I would be surprised if I put Medina number three in the top 30. I just, I, I'm, it's long. It's perfect for a tour event. I mean, it's long, it's hard, it's big. I I enjoy playing it. I I just, to me, it's not, I mean, it's just, it's a little boring. The, you know, the holes, some of the holes kind of seem similar. Obviously there's some really good holes and I'm probably underselling it just because it is so overrated. But I just, I've never been a fan of it, to be honest. So just one man's opinion. In terms of rankings, it's way overrated. In terms of like public appeal, I feel like the internet has been so, like the internet era has ruined my uh, um, Medina. 
like people see it and they just you know and uh, right. see pictures like that's like when people could start freely communicating about courses uh, like across the internet with twitter like it's it's ruined courses like my uh medina like baltusrol got the the bad treatment too but like i mean the the design is so flawed like i mean reese jones puts like bunkers on outside to the dog legs all day long out there there's too many trees the greens are all reached out with all these segments and all this stuff but like i go back to the land and the land is so freaking good that it's like almost like impossible to build a really bad golf course there like it's mm-hmm. still it's a mediocre golf course right now but the land is so good that it could be spectacular i i say underrated because if you actually re- renovated it and got a very good architect in there that was you know that knew how to build strategic golf holes like that place would be it might be top three or four in chicago yeah trees is a major issue out there there's <laughs> probably 12 times too many trees there should be yeah if they got out rid of all the all the wrong trees and kept like those big they have so many big oaks that are just awesome trees that i mean it was sergio tree is a good tree it's gone is it really well reese redid the hole oh right down the tree and he raised that green that green so freaking high up there when did he do that i'm trying to think when i played there maybe two years ago that was gone then so there's a tree that looks like you can go there and look at the tree and you think that's the tree, but it's not actually the tree. Fake tree. It was interesting. Probably. I busted a drive there the other day, and I think I was right by where Sergio hit his tree, which is kind of amazing given like the technology advances since that, right. that championship, like how far so Sergio used to hit the ball in Tiger. Um, so, uh, yeah, that I, I think Medina... I think Medina is, is just beaten up so much that it might actually be underrated, and I'm one of the people that beat it up. Sounds um, like a good answer for the people. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go. Nate Mowry, over under Wesley Bryan. Lots of, lots of questions from Nate. Lots of good yeah, ones, Yeah, Nate actually. fired him off, yeah. Over under Wesley Bryan's 90-minute round of 69, which was nice. It was nice. I... I, I I think it's overrated though, just because of what, again, what the internet does to things like this. <laughs> I I'm cool with that answer. Like, All right, how about another one from Nate? What are the three worst best courses on tour? Which courses would you substitute in? Three best would be probably. Um, let's see. I mean, like Aronimic next year. It's got to be in there. Um, Aronimic is so good. Riviera every single year has to be one of those. Mm-hmm. And then um, I would probably say, hmm. well, Trinity. I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see Trinity Forest in Dallas next year. Mm-hmm. New host. Um, I don't know who I'd say for the third. I'd probably, I mean, Pebble Beach, but they don't do the full hosting, you know? Right. I'd, I'd still say Pebble Beach. What do you think? Um, I, I can't leave Pebble off there. And Aronimic is one of the best courses I've ever played. I, that course is amazing. And it's gotten better. 
We, I think, a, yeah, we, we did a trip there and we played Pine Valley the day after we played Aronimic. And not to say that Aronimic was better than Pine Valley, but we were like, wow, those courses, they're not, they're not similar by any means, but in terms of how we rated them, we're like, wow, those co- courses are not very far off. And we, we had no idea anything about Aronimic. We got to do a f- trip to Philly before that BMW next year. Get, uh, get a little Aronimic in and get, I mean, there's so many good golf courses in Philly. So many. It's crazy, actually. I spent two weeks there last year, and I feel like I just scratched the surface. Um, I haven't played Marion. I'd love to. What are the worst courses on worst tour? Worst courses. Ooh. This one that jumps to the top of my mind that I kind of lit up this, this year is Glen Abbey. I mean, it's hardly one of the best 100 golf courses in all of Canada. I don't think it would be. And you look at... Um, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it favors the long hitter tremendously out there. If you don't bomb it, you have no chance. And, um, you know, you look at what just happened to the Canadian open. I mean, it used to be a major, major event and, and I mean, Jack Nicholas, it was one of his like must go to's every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's happened to it is it's become like a bottom tier event since you know the the slide started when they started going to Glen Abbey I think you look at good golf courses usually promote good fields like Riviera obviously LA has a a part of that but it has the best non-major non-WGC field year in year out and it's the best golf course so that's a quick fix for the Canadian Open and I know everybody will say they don't make any money if they go somewhere else but it's not like a you can't just like go somewhere good one year and have all of your problems fixed. If you continually play good courses, it'll get fixed. Um, Firestone, I hate Firestone. Um, I know good players win there, but it just is thoughtless. It's, you know, hit it straight and hit it close. Like, there's never any, like, in what holes can you remember at Firestone? Like, you remember them because Tiger played 18 in the dark, and you remember 16. But could you tell me what hole seven at Firestone is? And they've been playing there for how many years straight? And it's right. a big time event. Um, and then I, I, I got to go with uh, the Jones family legacy here, the RTJ trail for Barbasol. All um, over the Joneses today. Yeah. <laughs> Tough day for the Joneses. <laughs> uh, but I would say, uh, I'd say that just because like, why are they playing in Alabama in August? Like, the, go- the course probably isn't is is okay, but the fact that you're playing a golf tournament in Alabama in August is asking for many rain delays and like extremely soft conditions and players just like with m- tons of swamp ass. <laughs> the one course you're leaving off that list is TPC at Scottsdale. That course is awful. I- I, you know, I, maybe I'm salty cause it's like a few hundred bucks to play and you get out there and like the first 14 holes, you're like, what the hell is this? Like I could have just, you know, played the hotel course or any course, you know, in Arizona, that's literally so boring. I, I, the 15 through 18 are cool, but I think you're so bitter that you've played the first 14 holes. By the time you get to 15, 16, 17, 18, you don't get to enjoy it. It's, I got a lot of heat even from uh, one of our, uh, our our friends, the the angry golfer, um, f- when I said that Scottsdale, uh, TPC Scottsdale, is a below average course in a city full of average golf courses. Yeah, I think 
you're you're painting that in a positive picture. I think you said like Scottsdale is one of the worst golf cities in the country, and then said like Memphis was better. I didn't say Memphis. No, you didn't. But your argument about Scottsdale was good. But excuse me about TPC at Scottsdale. But I I do think there's some awesome golf courses in the Scottsdale area. I need to go. It just might be a little overrated because there's so many and people are like, oh, Scottsdale golf mecca. It's definitely not that, but it's not terrible. I don't think. I always I always judge golf cities like how many courses would you fly there to play, and like from what. I've been. I haven't played enough golf in Scottsdale. I have to go this winter. I think that's some. Have you right. played uh, Desert Forest? No. So I. I, I that course played is enough. amazing. But that's a northern golf course. That's it's it's just kind of placed in the desert. But it is a north. It's kind of a northern feel to it. I but there like, they have some really good golf courses. Whisper Rock is like a cool experience more so than being a great golf course. Oh, totally. I I I would give the golf course like a. Five. I, I don't even really remember many of the holes there, but I, I remember the milkshakes and the hanging out inside watching, I think it was NCAA tournament last time we were there. That was a blast, but the golf course was kind of eh. So I, I always judge it on like where in this city would I, like you call me up and say, hey, I'm playing here. Like where would I hop on a plane, no questions asked, to go play? And, you know, Chicago has Chicago golf, Shore Acres, like Columbus has Muirfield Village. Uh, I'd probably get in a car to drive Sayota, uh, and but like the golf club, I'd get you know get in a plane and go fly there to play. Like San Francisco has San Francisco Golf Club, um, mm-hmm. you know they they have. I'd probably go play Cal Club also, um, the Olympic Club. Obviously. So like these cities, L.A. has three courses. I'd get in a, get on a plane to go play. Like that's my point. Is like there isn't one in Scottsdale where I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I'll I'll drop everything and go play. <laughs> Pennsylvania, I mean, like Philly, Pittsburgh has them. Um, New York, Boston, all have them. No, what? I mean, I I I think my I agree with you that the it's not very top heavy, but it's a little deeper. Here, here's a good question uh, from Joe Estes: Best betting game. With players of varying skill level, um, I would say the banker um, game would be the best because you can you can do it with guys who are twenty handicaps plus fives, and you can win. You know, you can bet as much as you want or as little as we want. Um, brief synopsis: So you go to a hole. Say I'm the guy that hold the first putt with the lowest score is the banker on the next hole. So say. I'm the banker. I say, okay, this hole's worth forty bucks. Maximum, and right? Maximum. And you're you and me are playing straight up, and you you say, okay, I'll take all forty of it. And then our buddy's getting, you know, eight shots, and he gets a shot, or you want twenty of it, say. And then my buddy's getting a shot off me. He wants all forty. And then you know, one of our other buddies is just tagging along for fun, and he just says, okay, I'll just play it for ten. And then you just play the whole individual, me against you, me against the other guy, me against the other guy. Um, that's kind of a brief synopsis, but it's good for all levels of betting and all skill levels. You know what I really like about that game is if you play well, you're going to win. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very simple. Like, if you play, if you shoot 68, you're going to win. You know, if you play a great round, if you're a, if you're a 12 handicap and shoot 80, you're going to win. Like, right. it's not going to be where, like, one hole, like, can just railroad you, and you could, you know, you make your only bogey on a hole, and 
somebody else makes an eagle and you lose 500 points. And it's just like, well, I just, you know. So that's one thing I, I love about that game. Um, I think it's good for different skill levels. We played it with a, a not that vast, but a, a pretty vast. Um, yeah, we played players. it with a good group of guys, uh-huh. diverse mm-hmm. handicaps. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I think Banker, um, I think Wolf is, is decent. It, I think it, uh, obviously Scotch and like Vegas skew to the better player. Um, yeah, that game's all about procs, so you don't want to get in that game mm-hmm. with, you know, if you're a high handicapper, you can't, you can't, you don't want to get in that game with low handicappers. And it's like, I think the, the traditional NASA like actually skews like a match play Nassau skews to the higher handicap having an advantage because oh totally because as a lower handicap your variance like you know you don't make as many you don't make many doubles or triples and a, a 15 handicap can make nine pars um but he could make you know three triples and those three triples you can make birdie and you know you pick up 12 shots on those three holes but you really only win three holes. So yeah, it's a story for a different day. But I've always felt like member guests and you know stuff like that, where it's usually best ball match play. It should not be even close to hundred percent. Probably not even eighty percent of your handicap. It should be like sixty. But yeah, I think like sixty or fifty. It should be. Um, mm-hmm. But that's both of us have an extremely biased um, perspective <laughs> right. on the subject. Um. So, uh, Philip, why did uh, Leishman get two trophies? That's because there's a BMW trophy and a Western uh, Open trophy. So, like, you know, the WGA runs the Western uh, Western Am, and it became the BMW, or the Western Open, and became the BMW. And, you know, the Western Open was one of the most historic events. Um, it's kind of a shame, actually. I'm, I... Uh, but the better question here was overrated, underrated guys who play with no hats. I think overrated because you're probably not that intelligent because with, you know, melanoma and you spend so much time on the, you know, in the sun, not wearing a hat is extremely dangerous and you're just not, not, not intelligent. If you, I mean, if it's one thing, if it's like once every two weeks, but once every three weeks, it's still not good. Um, but if, if you're out there regularly playing golf without a hat, you gotta, you gotta fix that. You gotta figure it out. Sounds like you should get in with the, the big safari hat. (laughs) I should, the long sleeve shirt. I probably will be. I think that's what people do in Florida after they've been here for like 10 years. I'll be wearing like long underwear and my legs. (laughs) Um, I'm going to on my face. I'm going to go underrated on the no hat, and it's just because I, I admire them not selling out and earning the extra whatever couple hundred thousand or, you know, if, it, if it's a high-profile player, millions of dollars from a sponsor by foregoing the number one spot on the golfer. All right, how about Blake J wants to know your thoughts on the new Dana Fry course at Arcadia Bluffs? Well, I haven't seen it yet, so it's hard to, hard to say um, what my thoughts are. I like the idea of um, getting golfers more exposed to the kind of Rainer McDonald style of golf in a public setting. There just aren't many of them. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it's executed. 
I think the the tough thing with doing that style of golf is where Rainer was really great was like in these small little intricacies like you know it's like these small little internal contours and greens where if you miss the green you know if you're pin high right not only do you have slope right to left but there's usually these little tiny spines that you have to putt over that all of a sudden make speed control impossible um so i think that is the genius of rainer that will be very difficult to um to match but i'm excited to see it i i am uh uh dave essler who i had on the pod did a great job doing a course in a similar manner from like a nothing muni uh in mount prospect where you have these wild template greens and you know there's something that he faced there was backlash from from the public because they just they didn't understand it so um a lot of people think like these are goofy greens but these are the the whole premise was like build a course a public course in chicago where you can see the architecture you see at shore acres and chicago golf the two best golf courses in the city mm-hmm. um and you, that leads us sorry yeah. go ahead no no go ahead that leads us to the question here about uh, re-Mount Prospect Golf Club versus Ravislow. What are your top five public courses in Chicago, considering the quality of course, cost, distance from the city, et cetera? So if you, if you do the, um, the, the cost, I, 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 I think this is the only way you can really judge like golf in cities is, is when you do quality of course, condition, and the cost. Um, because... You know, if you play a course, if if you want a course that's great conditioned, like I, you know, you can tell, hey, if you want great conditioning, you should go play the Glen Club. But I don't think it's anywhere near the best public golf course in the in the city. Um, right. What I would say is I'd probably go. Um, Ravis Low is my favorite place to go play. It's like a Donald Ross course, um, great greens. It mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately they can't keep the greens. This is the other problem with public golf is like those old greens they can't keep fast in a public setting because the rounds would just take too long um guys would be putting balls off the green all day um whereas a country club you could do that because people are more used to the green speed so i'd say ravislow is my number one i'd go uh mount prospect all right i'd go probably shepherd's crook number two um it's way up in zion so it's far um but that's an awesome golf course there's no range it's built on a landfill, so it, it can kind of smell sometimes, but it's a really good golf course. And then I'd go uh, I'd go uh, number three, Mount Prospect, number four, Highlands of Elgin, and I don't know what my number five would be. What about you? I like that list. I'd probably put uh, Pine Meadow in that list. Pine Meadow's cool. I like that golf course. I mean, I don't know how architecturally sound it is but as far as a public course i mean it's tough and it's it's solid i, I don't i i haven't played there in years but i, I want to say it's probably around 100 bucks something yeah, like that it's a good deal so the interesting thing about pine meadow that it, is that it was originally designed by william flynn the guy that designed shinnecock hills jesus um, i did not know that yeah um Katansett, um the country club i mean it was integral in marion and pine valley this guy came to Lake Forest to build an estate for this guy named Albert Lasker, and it was called Mill Road Farms Golf Club, I think. I think that was the name. But anyways, it was apparently this golf course in Lake Forest. He built built Pine Meadow at the same time. This golf course in Lake Forest was the Oakmont of the Midwest, and there was an ongoing bet 
that Lasker had with any tour professional that they couldn't come and break par. And he would give them a thousand bucks if they broke par at the course. And uh, I think only one guy did it ever. Um, but then Lasker died and it became a housing development. And, you know, Lake Forest lost probably the best golf course in the town, uh, in the city. Maybe. Brutal. Um, maybe the city. It probably wouldn't have been better than Chicago golf. But Sounds like Jerry Rich. He has a standing uh, standing offer to try to break par at Rich Harvest from the tips. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, probably a little bit different t- test of golf in terms right. of what it, what it demands. Um, let's see. Uh, is there a golden age course not in the USGA Rota uh, for events that aren't U.S. Open, Mid-Am, all, those, all the AM events that should be? Do you know what why, why don't you take that one? That seems right up your alley. Um. Feel like the USGA gets their their kind of pick of the litter, but I don't know the last time like San Francisco Golf Club had something, and I think that would be a great golf course. Obviously, you've got um, another one might be like Peachtree, it hasn't ever really had anything. Um, I don't see. I think these clubs probably aren't interested in hosting them more right. so than. Um, but those. And I think like San Francisco Golf Club, given its uh, lack of distance, would you'd have to have like a mid-am at. Um, the best course that I've played this year, not named Chicago Golf Club or Fisher's Island, is a place called Moraine. And it's in Dayton, Ohio. It's neighbors with NCR. I played a US Am qualifier there, so it's not the USGA run event. It's a it's a, a local golf association run event, and only one guy broke par over the two rounds, um, and it wow. was it wasn't like it was like abnormally windy or bad conditions. It was a good day to play golf. Um, so I would say Moraine should be hosting something. It should host like a senior open, a senior um, players like if the tour wanted to go there, or it could be like an awesome. USAM host with uh, NCR is the other course, um, or a mid-am course with it and NCR. They literally are, you, they butt up against each other. So that could be a really great kind of um, combo. Um, here's a good one. Overrated, underrated practice swings. Um, I'm going to say overrated. Um I I only say that because I think it's such a perceived notion that you have to have this two swing three swing routine, um, and there's been times where I've struggled playing and I'll switch up my routine. I mean, and maybe go no practice swings and you play fine for a little bit. So I mean, as long as you're you're loose, I mean, it depends if you're rehearsing something, you know, like trying to get under it or come over it, whatever you whatever you're rehearsing, then practice swings actually help. But if you're swinging it pretty well, I'm not really sure, I mean, what they do for you. Mm-hmm. Some people say that your best swing would be your first swing because it's mm-hmm. the most natural that. and instinctual. I'd say overrated. Not necessary. Um, here's a good, another good one for you. Should the Walker Cup reserve a spot for a mid-am or a senior-am? Or and a senior-am? I... I think I said this on the last one, but no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it should be the 12 or t- how many? 10 or 12? 10. 10. It I should think be they the... should expand to 12. 
though. If you expand it to 12, I think you could, you know, you'd have some wiggle room there. But I, I think if it's 10, I, I think neither. I think you should just have the 10 best players. Um, and like I said at the on the last one, I, I hope it's six midams. But you know, if it's not, it's not. It should be the 10 best players that that play in it. I agree. It's not like they. Uh, I guess they, you know, this year the Presidents Cup took Phil, which was kind of like taking a midam. You probably didn't deserve it right, yeah. on the team. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, we'll say oh, overrated, underrated Midwest fall golf from Andy K. So underrated. I love Midwest fall golf. I'm trying to figure out a way. I'm trying to figure out a few dates in October to come up north and play Exmoor and all the all the good golf courses that are so. It's when it's firm and fast up north. Typically the the courses are just so good. I, I it's my favorite time of year. There's nothing to me better than playing like a eight o'clock round on a Saturday and Sunday, you know, eating lunch, going home, and just watching football all day. It's like a dream day. Yeah, especially when it's the weather where like you're wearing pants and a pullover mm-hmm. when you tee off, and then by like by eight you your pants and a shirt, and it's just like that perfect weather. It's a little mm-hmm. brisk and the balls balls running. The greens are flying because they don't have to worry about all the diseases getting in there yep. with like the humidity. I mean, I, over I, there's no way it could be possibly overrated. Um, Agreed. Um, what's the craziest confrontation you've ever witnessed on the golf course or had? <laughs> I saw this question. It reminded me of one thing. Um, I was playing a high school match with my buddy Andrew. Um, we were playing. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say what school. So we're what school we were playing against, but we were both playing for New Trier. And um, one of the guys we're playing against is clearly moving his marker up. Like every time he puts it down, he moves it up like literally like six inches to a foot. I mean, we would turn around, talk to each other, and he'd be he'd have like a tap in instead of a three footer. We're like, what the hell is going on? So that's like okay, you know, I'll, I'll you know I'm gonna keep an eye on him, blah blah blah. So I'm not really paying attention on like the seventh hole. Um, I look over and Vit goes up to this kid and he goes, listen, I saw you move that marker. I'm not going to call you on it, but if you do it again, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you. I was like, oh my God. And the kid got ghost white, literally made, I think double or triple on eight and double or triple on nine after being like even par. It was the craziest thing I've seen. He was so flustered. It was amazing. Yes. Is uh, the high school high school golf lots of uh, high school golf can get crazy. Yeah, I'd um, mine would be I was playing at my home club, and I hit I sprayed one. I was uh, actually somebody else sprayed one into um, our fairway, and I pointed out I was like, "Here's your ball," and the guy like drives up with his cart, and he like immediately starts like getting ready to hit the shot. <laughs> and I'm walking like directly in front of him and I'm, like all of a sudden I'm like standing right in his crosshairs and I'm like holy shit this guy's gonna hit the ball and I start running with my bag on my shoulders and he hit oh it. He, chun- he chunks it and he was like this big guy he chunks this and it like goes like you know like right in like 30 yards and I'm like holy shit and I and I said to him, I was like, dude, you gotta wait till people get out of your way. And he goes, You thought I was gonna hit you? And I'm like, I was pretty <laughs> pissed off. So I said, Well, with a swing like that, 
you you would never know. And uh, <laughs> I mean, this guy got like enraged, and he was was he hammered? No, no, he's this big guy. He had he was tatted up, and and my buddy, I was playing with like, dude, like why why did you say that to him? But uh, yeah, he got really mad. It was it was I actually kind of was scared about getting my ass kicked on a golf course, <laughs> which I didn't think would ever happen. Um, let's see. How about overrated, underrated wedge stamps and Adirondack chairs? Um, I think they're both overrated. I have like a, I had a buddy give me some uh, Wilson wedges, and they have my initials on them, and it's cool. But like, I I don't get in on like the designs. Like a cool putter cover doesn't get me going. Or right. Like a I'm like kind of more of a minimalist. And then the the chairs, I think that like people make such a big deal about them that they're overrated. I I just naturally think things are overrated when people like them. I say overrated wedge stamps and I guess underrated Adirondack chairs because I like saying Adirondack. They are cool. Like uh, Arcadia Bluffs has a bunch of them that on top of the bluff and they look out over the lake like that's fucking awesome. I'm in on that. But You're in on that? Yeah, just in general, maybe out on it. I don't think they're that comfortable either. They're okay. Yeah, you're right. They're not like, it's not God's gift to comfort. They look cool, but, you know, I I have this debate with my wife all the time. Like, they look cool, like this looks cool, but it's not comfortable. Like, that's the main point of a chair. Right. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good spousal argument. Yeah. Um... Let's see. What else we have? Okay, here here from sixteen pars. It looks like he had a he had an interesting uh experience in his mid amp qualifier. He's downwind, two seventy six pin, two forty to carry on the eighteenth, over water. It's a par five. And it's a very windy day and he's the second to last group with no live scoring and he's two over, you know, with two qualifier spots. What would you do? I, I don't know if I have enough information there. I think you need to know. Um, I'd like to know where. You know, I think he, he probably had a, hopefully a general idea of who was in the field. And it depends on where the wind is. I, I think that if you can hit it 250, you hit you you go for it. Um, but if if a two four if the 240 yardage is right on the border, I think you have to try to lay up and make birdie the other way. Because there's nothing worse than, um, you know, it, I did this in a Monday qualifier uh, for the Greater Milwaukee Open. I, I think I was three or four under, four under maybe, maybe five. I forget. But I'm on Monday qualifying and I'm on the 18th green and I look at my buddy who's caddying for me and I'm like, dude, I have like a 30 footer downhill. I'm like, dude, if I make this putt, I'm gonna play in a tour event. He's like, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I ram it 10 feet by, you know. I'm like, oh man, come back, miss the comebacker, tap in. Had I just two putted, I would have been in a playoff. So you never want to, you never want to, you know, count your chickens. I unless it's you can you can miss it and hit it two forty. I would probably lay up. Yeah, I think uh, in general, thinking numbers is the complete wrong way to play a qualifier. Um, something that's helped me recently with qualifiers is that I don't think about my score. I just simply say to myself. Am I playing well? And if I'm playing well, no matter what my score is, I'm probably going to be very close or like, you know, if it's at a state level, I'm going to get in. 
um, at a USGA level, I'm probably going to be somewhat close and I just need some putts to go in. So, because mm-hmm. like you don't know what this number is ever going to be. And even thinking about the number is just wasting your time and taking you out of what the psychologists say is the moment, you know? Um, so I would say that the first question I'd ask myself is, especially like on a windy day, am I playing very well? If you're playing very well, you're probably in a good spot. Um, like I think back to like the Lakeshore mid-amp thing, like where I played really well um, last year in this mid-amp thing and I shot 70 on a really tough windy day. Like I that walking, was a good round. Walking off that course, I would never think like on a regular day, like 70 is going to be the medalist. It ends up being the medalist because it was a tough day, but I knew I played great golf. So it's like a number doesn't really matter. It matters how you play. Right. Um, I, uh, I, 16 pars, please, uh, tweet us and let us know what you did. I'm curious to see how that ended. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get a couple more and we'll get out of here. Uh, we touched on the ball. Let's do, um, how about we say overrated, underrated playing tournament golf from some guy named Tony. Well, some guy named Tony. I think playing tournament golf. I I want to say un, I think underrated. It's really fun to compete and uh, not necessarily against other people, but it's fun to see how like you mentally handle situations. I think it's beneficial to you know as a trader, it's beneficial to me to know how I react to certain things and can I you know keep cool and calm um when things aren't going right so i think it's i think it's underrated i think it has value um to other parts of your life i think that you know you make a lot of good friends um so i'm gonna say underrated yeah i think underrated too i think it it obviously helps your your golf game i i actually have like a problem now where i i don't play as well casual as a casual golfer as i do as a tournament golfer because i just don't focus um but that's fine. I'm not out there playing on a Saturday morning to like grind out a score. Um, right. More so to have fun. I think uh, I I completely agree with uh, helping other parts of your life. Like I I used to be in sales and just like being calm. Like that's the biggest thing. You know, I I used to run a little hot on the golf course, and uh, and now I I mean you eventually realize like it doesn't really matter, but it helps you with other aspects of your life like you know you have to you have to stay cool um provides discipline too i mean i know that you're probably not going to have 14 beers with a 9 a.m tea time in a tournament the next day so you know you got to go to bed early on a friday night and Mm -hmm. get ready to play the next day so i think it helps discipline yeah keep you disciplined uh ryan hennessy this is a good question why doesn't the low am at the masters get an invite to the next year is it because they assume that he turns pro after obviously it's it's pointed to uh big stew i'm curious if they assume that obviously we don't know i i guess they probably do i think they should I, they're very obviously very pro amateur and i think they could put a caveat in there that the low am gets an invite next year provided he's still an am that would be interesting because that it must be such a cool experience that guys might even hold off on turning pro. I wonder if that would, you know, it's just, 
you know, you, you play well in the, you know, you, you, you're low am, that's fine. You play well the next year in the Masters, you know, you could make millions in sponsor money versus, you know, grinding out a year on, um, you know, the mini tours. But I think I, I'm all for that. I think the low am should get an invite the following year. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think a lot of people would stay um, pro. Like, I, I think it's just cool for a guy like Hagestad. Um, I mean, obviously, he uh, nobody expected him to be the low am at, at Augusta, and he played great golf for four days. And the fact that he is still amateur, like, why wouldn't you get that? And it would be for, like, cool pairings. Like, obviously, the U.S. Am champ gets to play with um, – the reigning Masters champ and mm-hmm. um, is it the U.S. Open champ? Yes. Um, and so, like that's that's cool. But then you could have like the low am gets to play with like the U.S. Am runner up and somebody else. So maybe maybe you do the U.S. Am runner up and the Masters runner up from the year before. That would be cool um, for sure. So I'm I'm in on that. Um, all right, let's. Uh, how about this one from Will? It says, hi, Andy. I had this discussion recently with a friend. I'm about a 10 handicap in my mid-20s. If I quit my job, hired one of the top swing instructors in the world, and worked on my game full-time, how, re- how good could I reasonably expect to get in X amount of time? A year, three years, five years. Assume money isn't a problem as far as equipment and course access goes. Could I expect to get to a PGA Tour level of play, web tour level, or just be a really good amateur at my club? How much of golf do you think is natural talent and ability versus dedication and practice? Enjoy the pod. Keep up the good work. Will. All right. This is a a great question. And I think, you know, I think some people have tried to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, I would say that you're never going to get to a web tour level or even like a Latin American tour level. Um, I think your swing is going to have some flaws that are going to take a very long time to, to fix. And the biggest thing is that you've missed out on, on reps for mm-hmm. 10 to 15 years that those guys have had the end, not to mention all of the tournament golf experience like that can't go, um, without, you know, like you can't under, you can't overrate that enough, um, so I would say that you're never going to get to a pro golf level, um, like a, of a touring pro golf level. Um, I think you would become very good. I think a year in, you could probably expect to be down to a four or five handicap. I think three years in, you could be a, a good state-level amateur player. And I think five years in, you could begin to, you know, be playing in like you have chances to play in like the u.s mid-am um at that level what do you think i'm gonna say i'm not i i I think that you're right on the pga tour web tour level i i don't want to say it's zero percent because there's always a chance but i would put it under one percent um you know from a 10 handicap i think you know it's hard enough i know some guys that have been you know plus ones scratches plus twos and tried to do that and you know they haven't they haven't had much luck so coming from a 10 without the reps that Andy mentioned makes it even harder i think in a year golf's a hard game i think in a year you could go from 10 to 4 probably and then 3 years maybe 4 to scratch 
Um, and five years, you could probably be playing in state tournaments. I don't know if you could be at the top of that because um, you are competing against guys that practice a lot and they've been playing tournament golf for 20, 30 years. So it's tough. I mean, it's definitely doable, though. I mean, it, it's not – that's what's so great about golf is you could, you could you know, be one of the best senior AMs in the world in 25 years. Um, there's no doubt about that. But the in terms of it, within the next five years, I think that – that's tough. That's tough. So yeah, like a good example. I have a I have a buddy, um, friend of the pod. His name's he he played minor league baseball. Um, his and he he's a buddy of a buddy of mine. Um, like from high school, they played high school golf together. So he was a high school golfer. He was, you know, once upon a time a, a two handicap um, in high school. And he played minor league baseball, and I remember playing with him right after he quit minor league baseball, and he was like a six or an eight handicap. Like, he wasn't, you know, great, but he had, like, he murdered the ball. And within two years, he was down to, like, a a two or a one, like, back to his high school level. And within four years, he was at a plus handicap level. But this is a guy that was already had a lot of the reps and the skill, but you know had fallen down because of a lack of playing. So, and he has a ton of athletic ability. Like he he hits the ball like three hundred and fifty yards. So that's I I would say I I think you're I think you're right. It, it, five years you probably a state competitor with like a an, a very outside chance to qualify for like a U.S. Mid-Am. Mm-hmm. So. So on this question, though, wasn't isn't is it Jason Bone? Did he do this? Didn't he make a hole in one? Or was that is that who I'm thinking Scott of? Scott Piercy. Is Scott Piercy? Didn't he? Uh, well, Scott Piercy, I think, was trying to play pro golf, and he won like a million dollar thing in Vegas, and that's how. Oh he... no, yeah, that's different. I think Jason Bone, if I'm right, I know somebody. I think it's Jabone. You know, made a hole in one, basically quit his job and worked real hard for a few years. And made the tour, but I think he was obviously a great golfer beforehand. Maybe not. Maybe you know the money was a big hindrance to him getting to the next level. And then once he got it, he was able to do it. But I, I feel like that's right. Yeah, I it's, I think if if uh, if you're like a plus three and it happens, like or a plus two, like you've got a a small chance, but. It's still so I, I you know I have buddies I'm 33 now so I graduated 11 years ago um, I have buddies that I graduated with still playing mini tour golf and they are playing you know full time for 11 years great talented players um, and still you know haven't played on the web or PGA tour so it's just I mean to expect to do that is it, is not in the realm of happening that's like the possibility nobody understands like you know like I. I played with a, a buddy of mine who's played full-time on the web this year. And I played really good golf and shot like 71 that day. And he made a double bogey and shot 67. And Who was that, Vince? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, like I don't, I don't have that in the... I always say that they're like a deep... Uh, they're like a nuclear sub. Like they get under the water and they can go as low as you you they want, and mm. I'm I'm a snorkeler, so <laughs> just I, dabble I, a little bit. I can get down there, you know. Sometimes I spend a lot of time above water, <laughs> and then when I get 
get below water, like if I get too far under, like I'm getting water down the snorkel tube and, and I'm, Slowed I'm, up. I'm coming up. <laughs> I like that analogy, snorkeler. Um, so, all right. I think that's, uh, we got to most of it. Thanks for all the questions. Um, a lot if of you, good ones. Yeah. If you want to, you know, we do this pretty regularly. So if you want to, you can email them to us too, if you have a longer question, um, uh, if you, if you just tweet at me, I, I'm not very organized. So, so if you, if you want a question in the best way to do is email. Um, if it, if it's not associated to a thread where I, where we ask for questions. So Kyle, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Good to have you back. Hey, it's uh glad you're safe and sound down there in Florida. And thanks. All right. Later. See you guys.